when you interact with those tools and those kind of large language models that have been built, it is really amazing what they can do. And I am so excited about the fact that, you know, you can take those things in sort of their early state and they show so much promise for us as an industry. That's exciting. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, friends. David Wright here, and I am your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And... Today, I'm happy to say I'm lucky enough to be joined by Jeff Hibbert. Jeff, pleasure to have you on. Thanks, David. Great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff, for any of our listeners who may not be familiar, can you tell everyone just a little bit about your current role? Yeah, happy to. I'm the chief digital officer at TrueLiant Federal Credit Union. We're a credit union financial institution headquartered in Central North Carolina in the city of Winston-Salem. And we've got offices in Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina. And I lead our kind of four practices for our organization. First, digital experience, which is really around digital transformation, project management, our payments practice, and then our operations transformation group. Amazing. Yeah, excited to learn more about what you guys are up to at Trulion. I think a lot of relevant use cases for our listeners. Before we do, first off, just like to start the episode with one piece of actionable advice you might look to leave everyone with today. You know, I think it's kind of around this idea of think big, but more so than that, it's be pragmatic and ready to adapt, right? So think big in the context of you you have a vision, you know where you want to go, you have a plan that you can share with others so they understand what you want to accomplish. But I think more so than anything, nothing unfolds exactly like any of us think it's going to unfold. And you you need to be ready to change course. You need to be ready to adapt. And you need to be ready to be pragmatic in the sense of how do I get this done in this organization? You know, what about my plan needs to be adapted to make it work, you know, for Tuline or for any other organization? Yeah, I think that's great advice. I actually... (laughs) One of my things my team hears me say to clients all the time is think big, start small. You know, I think that if you don't 
take that holistic view into account, you can make decisions that you later regret. But uh, to your point, nowadays, you know, we've actually, I forget exactly who it was. There's a couple episodes I was talking with an executive about how nowadays you can't even have a two, three year roadmap. Or if you do, you better be pragmatic because the way that technology is evolving, even in the last six months, you know, if you're not staying up to date and, you know, kind of pivoting as needed, you're going to put yourself in a situation where you're not future-proofing the organization, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I think one of the examples we use here is, you know, we spend a lot of time with our board of directors on, you know, well, what's the roadmap and kind of what the future looks like. And I think the one piece of counsel really around that is, you know, to the point you just raised, if anybody's walking into that meeting saying, this is my five-year plan and I've got it poured in concrete and that's never really going to change, you know, uh, trust me that, you know, you know, this industry as well as I do, it will have moved and turned in a very different direction than you think. And then all of a sudden you're working on things that aren't even relevant, aren't even matter anymore. So it's definitely, you've got to be adaptable. That's one of the things that I really love about technology is it's always changing and really helps keep you on your toes. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's great that they have a, you know, a digitally minded executive like you leading the thing because you know that innovation requires, you know, a level of, of testing and, you know, even failing, if you want to call it that within a kind of controlled environment and then pivoting and, and moving. And, you know, I think that a lot of the classic late adopters, that wasn't the, the mantra for many years. It was kind of like, how do we keep the lights on? How do we, you know, keep everything safe and secure? But nowadays you can do both. You can, you know, keep things safe and secure and innovate if you do it the proper way. A lot of cultural and, you know, organizational barriers, you know, organizations that I have worked with have to navigate. But anyway, I digress. So Jeff, before we get into the work you guys are doing at TrueLine, I want to learn a little bit more about you and your journey as an executive, kind of how you started out and how you got to the point that you're at in your career today. Maybe you could share a little bit about it for yeah, us. Yeah, happy to, David. So, you know, I, I think and when I was kind of preparing for this question, I probably had taken one of the most circuitous past and that you could possibly imagine in a career to the seat that I occupy today. And when I left college, I, I went to the military for a few years and, you know, spent some time in that. It's a tremendous experience, a great opportunity to learn a lot about leadership at a very young age. You know, you're kind of thrown into some very diverse and challenging situations. And you know, I, re I really enjoyed that. When I left military service, I went into public sector finance for a few years. And this is really about the time when it kind of back in the heydays when the internet was just becoming a thing. And, you know, I know it's probably difficult for a lot of your listeners to think back like, well, you know, what point in time really was that? But, you know, it was just emerging and we could see, you know, things start to happen as a result of what really that level of technology and capability was doing to change things around us. And that's how I got really started in technology. I really jumped in from the finance side of it. And we really needed somebody in that role that I was in at the time to wrangle, well, well, what does this internet thing really mean? And what do we need to start paying attention to here? And then moved into financial services shortly after that on the private sector side. So my career progression from there was project management to product development. 
all in technology in terms of how we use technology to drive new experiences and innovation for really the end consumer. Went to from large banks to a fintech startup to the organization TrueLine Federal Credit Union where I landed today. So it's been a really interesting, I think, 20 plus year career. I don't think I would have ever sat down and kind of drawn this out in a sheet of paper and said, this is some logical career progression, but it has definitely served me well in the role that I buy today. Yeah. I find that the best journeys that I've been on have been when I've learned to kind of go with the flow, so to speak. Not to, <laughs> like, not to say that I can't, you know, guide my destiny, but me too. If I, and if I would have ended up where I thought I wanted to end up, you know, when I was younger and I would have been selling myself short. So that's all. Um, yeah. And, you know, I like to tell a lot of people that it's, you know, your career journey oftentimes is a series of intersections of kind of where preparation meet opportunity, right? And you just don't know what the, sometimes the next thing that's going to land in front of you. And it, it's exciting in a way, you know, it could be a little terrifying in a way you might be making a career transition from here to there into something that you don't know that you really know that well, but somebody sees something in you, which they think can, can help make them successful and their organization successful. And I've just been really fortunate to be surrounded by people who put those opportunities in front of me and saw something me sometimes in myself that I didn't realize was there. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think that's important. I mentored some people in my time and the same thing. I mean, when I, I've said before, when, whenever anyone almost anyone starts a job, you know, there's going to be unequivocally things that they just don't know, you know, or they don't know they don't know. And it takes time in any role to ramp up and get up to speed. You know, anybody who tells you that's not true for them is either ignorant or they're lying <laughs> because it's just, you, you could like, for example, I remember like my, my wife is a speech language pathologist, so she studied, you know, and got her master's and still she would go to the, the school and they're, you know, she's learning the ins and outs and the inner workings. And I just think that's true of any, any position worth having is you kind of, you pick things up as, as you go, you, I've learned the most from my experiences over time and from the experiences of others. We're all different learners, but. Anyway, so, so Jeff, actually that is a good segue into my next, you know, topic. I, I'm curious over the course of your journey, what would you say is one of the most important things that you've learned? And, you know, if you think about it, what was life kind of before learning that and after learning that? You know, I think it, it kind of reflecting on this question in preparation for today, I mean, I think for really, to me, it comes down to it's really around the role that communication plays in the workplace and in your personal life and whether that's good communication or it's bad communication. And that can have such a dramatic impact on, you know, whether, you know, let's say in, you know, our work here at the credit union, whether an initiative gets off on the right track, do people really understand the why, do they really understand where this thing is headed? And, you know, oftentimes I find that, you know, particularly at this point in my career, that that is simply the area where I have to spend the most time in terms of helping prepare the organization for the things that we want to do. And, you know, early in my career, you know, I would say my communication style was probably very sort of directive, kind of action oriented. Let's go do three things that we want them done in this order and do them this way. And, 
at the end of the day, you'd pull up and kind of, you know, check, check, we got those things done and you feel good about that and you moved on. I think as I've progressed in my career in the problems we face now as an organization today are much more complex than they were in this industry 10 to 15 years ago. It requires very different kinds of problem solving and, you know, very sort of directed communication, very pointed, very specific. Oftentimes, I think, is while you can get some things done, and I think that works well in an operational setting, in a problem-solving setting, it's not well-suited. And I find that, you know, sometimes you need to slow the communication process down somewhat, become more patient with thought, you know, different points of view, discussing the problem for very different ways, because I think ultimately that all helps from the efficacy and the effectiveness of a collaboration process. And you just need to be patient with it. So I'm thinking to me, it just really comes down to, you know, you just got to focus on the communication because at the end of the day, that's what's going to make the difference. Yeah. Wow. That is super valuable. What it brings up for me is the value of enrolling these various stakeholders, you know, so it's not like you were saying, it's not directive, it's inquisitive. I'm making them feel heard. I'm including these stakeholders in the process. Because in a previous life for me, right, if I was putting these solutions on someone and then catching them up as I was rolling it out, right, it often didn't go well, you know, and even to the tune that the solution could be rolled out technically perfectly, but the success of an IT or digital initiative is in my customer's consumption and perception of the solution itself, right? So if my customers, both my colleagues and my, you know, end customers think the solution sucks, then the solution sucks. I mean, it's just, it doesn't matter how cool or or good I think that we did, right? So that's just something that it makes me me think of. Yeah, it kind of brings up some thoughts here in our recent discussion, not in our organization. I was networking with some peers at, at an event a few weeks ago and we were talking about a particular conversion that they had gone through regarding one person, their piece of their business, moving from an in-premise platform to a kind of a cloud solution. And, you know, I was like, well, you know, how'd that go? And the whole conversation was really around, well, it was great. You know, we did the conversion and it went from, you know, we moved to the new platform and it was phenomenal. And then somebody asked, us, said, well, what were the outcomes all about? What did it do for the business? And that's kind of where the whole thing began to unravel. And it was just like, well, the conversion really went well, but you know, the business didn't, they were struggling with it and it really didn't serve the customer well. And I, I think to me, it's all coming down to that communication in terms of, you know, what are we chasing? What outcomes are we looking for? What's the right tool for the job? And making sure that the organization around you is read into that so that they can make decisions, right? I mean, it's where I sit in the organization today, I can certainly influence the direction and the outcomes, but I need, you know, all kinds of leaders around us in the credit union today to be able to step back and make the day-to-day decisions they need to make to drive the outcomes we're looking for, you know, our membership, our customer, and our staff. Jeff, what about a time that you were challenged or you did have a project that hit the wall, but ultimately from this difficulty, personally or professionally, you took away profound lesson? Yeah, there was one of my roles a few years back in my career. We were, is a much smaller organization of kind of a late stage startup. And one of the things that we were 
challenged with was basically like a lot of companies in that phase of their growth is really how do you scale? And then what's the right way to scale to meet your short-term objectives without sacrificing your kind of medium to long-term business model? And we had a leader in the organization, incredible visionary. And one of the things that really I took away from that was it's the power of an idea. And then the passion behind that idea and hit his code of leadership to make that happen. The lesson learned in the process was the team that we had around him from, I say was, we were all very competent, very professional, very skilled at what we did. But I would say that we probably weren't really harmonized around the objective. And so while we were clear on what the vision was, where we struggled as a leadership team was really on how to make that happen. And our challenge was, you know, how do we work through our competing interests and issues to be able to execute on the broader objective? And that's where we struggled as a company. And, you know, as a result of that, I think, you know, you kind of look sort of look at the, the after effects of that and, you know, were there things that we could have done better? Absolutely. You know, we missed across a number of sort of business targets and revenue targets and other things and struggle with some stuff. But yeah, when I left that, when I left that role and went on to another role, I mean, just that was one unique circumstance in my career journey where nothing else is like that has happened before. And so it was an incredible, it was an incredible learning environment, sort of a lab, if you will, almost around, you know, you've got the big idea, you've got the vision, and then the criticality of getting all the stuff in the organization to move in this in a similar direction. And how do you work through the stuff you've got to work through in an organization? to be able to make that happen. Yeah. I mean, you're talking my language as an entrepreneur and, you know, someone who's scaling companies. So yeah, no, I think that's spot on. So Jeff, I want to talk more about True Lion. Before we get into that, last question I would ask is favorite book, either that you've read recently or all time, your choice. Yeah, it's a, it was a reread for me. So it's a, book by Gene Kim called Phoenix Project came out about 10 years ago. It's, you know, super easy read was kind of a staple in the industry when, you know, 10 plus years ago when DevOps and sort of those things are kind of rolling out in IT. But from the reason I really love that book is it's just so practical in terms of why it is so critically important for people in the technology space to understand the fundamentals of the business. If you do not understand the fundamentals of the business, then you're going to miss on the application of technology to drive the business value you're looking for, which means ultimately, you know, as a steward of technology or what you're trying to do in the organization, it's just a really good practical book. And, you know, I think is a reminder to us all that sometimes you just need to slow down and you just need to think about the fundamentals before you go off and try to design an answer to a problem that you don't understand. Amen. One of my favorite IT business books all time as well. And excited to say, and this hasn't been, you know, announced yet, but we're going to be having Gene Kim on the Disruptive Innovators podcast. Oh, very soon. nice. So, yeah. So that's a perfect setup for that episode. So awesome. Stay tuned for that. Yeah. So Jeff, you're the, you know, chief digital officer, True Lion Credit Union. Talk to us a little bit about your vision for IT and digital as it's derived from the overall mission of the organization 
and maybe some of the key initiatives that you're working on? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's really around how we use technology to create, you know, a sustainable business model, but let's kind of take that and then connect it back to the things that we see the most important in the organization. And that's really how we improve the lives of our members. So those are our customers. And in the credit union industry, that's what we call them because we are cooperatives and we're owned by the people who do business with us. And so ultimately everything we do is trying to drive how we improve their lives, you know, how we provide great service to them, how we provide great services to others in terms of, you know, how we work together as staff and internal departments. And that is really the focus and sort of the vision of where we want to take this. And it's really about thinking about how do you put the user first, right? So start, think of it through whether that user is an external member or a customer interacting with one of your products or services, or is it a staff member in, you know, that you may be serving a department in the organization internally, put yourself in their shoes, spend a day, you know, kind of walk in their shoes for a moment and understand how the technology, they interact with it and say and see it speak about it, understand it, so that you understand how to put all those things together to deliver a more effective product or service for them. In terms of, you know, kind of some of the things that we're working on as an organization right now, you know, big areas of focus for us for the past couple of years, and we'll continue for the next several, but we just went through an exercise where we finished our kind of planning for 2024. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about it as a leadership team and with our board. You know, we're really focused on member service quality and what technology can do to help with that, not only from a self-service perspective, like through online or mobile banking, for example, but what internal tools, you know, do we need? So things like CRM, for example, where we are probably one of the first financial services organizations to look at CRM through the lens of really service first versus sales. And so how do we use it to make internal workflow better, case tracking better, transparency better? So that that's a big focus for us. Another big area for us is really around business process modernization. So how do we take older legacy technologies, replace those with the things that we need to be the credit union that we want to be in 10 years? And then how do we change the business process and the departments to accompany that? So that's another big focus for us. And probably the last two I think, David, the ones that we're talking about the most as a leadership team, we see a lot of promise in artificial intelligence, like a lot of people do, you know, that in technology right now, we're going to take some steps on that in 2024. And then finally in Agile, you know, we want to become a faster, more nimble organization overall. And it's really what we do to not only how do we do faster delivery in a more iterative way so we can be a little speedier to market in terms of some of the things that we're trying to do, but also how do we push decision-making down to lower levels in the organization to help accelerate that thought process so those things move forward more quickly. Right, right. Create more feedback loops. So, you know, one of the things that you mentioned, the business process modernization, I think in particular got me thinking about how a lot of the times we'll see companies that have older platforms and they have the the newer platform that they want to move to and they just try to forklift what they're doing and and plug it into the new platform and i think you know the way that you described it is how kind of the the juxtaposition where we're throwing it up against the wall and kind of seeing like okay 
sure, now we'll have access to these new capabilities, but truly from a from a business process standpoint, what works, what doesn't work, you know, how are we gonna, you know, take care of these bottlenecks, you know, over the course of the process and really iron things out prior to seeing how technology will serve to to support that. Because, you know, a lot of the times it's things with the people, but the organization that has to change, or it's a methodology that needs to change, not so much the technology itself. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think we we spent some time as a, our CEO held a town hall a few weeks back where we talked about, you know, the need as an organization to be more adaptable to in terms of our business process to what the technology, the new technology brings to the table. And so, you know, uh, with, when you look at kind of initiatives over our organization over the past three to four years, the ones that really have seeded, succeeded the most really around modernization have been the ones where we simply accepted the new technology of the platform for what it is and then adapted the process around it to leverage it to its fullest extent and its capacity. The other areas where we have struggled somewhat, and, and this happens in every organization, it's and it goes to the point that I think that you just raised around change management. You want to change the technology to adapt to the process that you've always had for the last 10 to 15 years. And so now you're sub-optimized on both ends of the spectrum. The technology is not quite working the way it was designed to work, probably going to cost you more and be more problematic at the end of the day. And then your business process on the front end never got any better. And a matter of fact, it may have gotten worse. So, you know, we like to say that the experiences we deliver to one another as staff or the experiences that we deliver externally to our members, it, it, think of it like a mathematical equation. It's the, to the right side of the equal sign is the experience. To the left side of the equal sign, it's the sum total of all those process interactions whether it's technology or human or both. And so to your point, you want to make sure you're fully optimized on that side of the equal sign so that your outcome is exactly what you're looking for. Right. Well said. What about, Jeff, any challenges you're facing as an organization today? What would you say about that? Yeah, I think that, you know, change management in this space is always hard, right? So it's the point you raised in the prior question. It's, you know, at the end of the day, companies are made up of people. People are people. And it comes down to sometimes where things transition or they begin to shift. A lot of folks bring back that and internalize it and say, well, what does it mean for me? What am I going to be here at the end of this project? What role do I play in this new process? How do I adapt? How do I continue to add value? So that probably as a leadership team is one of the things that we're spending the most time talking about in some of our most significant initiatives and projects is how do we bring the organization along in the process? How do we deal with things like, you know, retrain folks or redeploy or bring on new skill sets? So that's one. I think another, uh, not unlike organizations like us all over the industry, talent is a challenge. Yeah, there's never enough of it. It's never, you know, you never have enough of it in the right skills at the right times. So that's a constant thing that we have to juggle. And I think the probably the last two is prioritization. You know, there are a lot of things to do. How do you make sure you land the right initiative at the right time? How are you having the right conversations across the organization to make sure that you know, you're not just working on 10 things and you're not just getting them done in any random order, but how do you finish them in an order that you need to finish them in to deliver what you need to do for the business? 
And then the last is just patience. You know, things like CRM or putting in a new loan origination system or building a new website or replacing, you know, some other backend, you know, whether it's for HR or for finance, that's just hard work. And, you know, to the point you raised earlier, you know, it's like a lot of process re-engineering that takes time and just being realistic and patient to understand really how long is this going to take? You know, how do we deploy it? Everybody wants it all tomorrow, you know, just like I do. And you know, how do we set the organization up for success in that regard? Yeah, manage expectations, right? Which I've had to learn the hard way myself. All good stuff, Jeff. I want to touch on, you, you mentioned when we were talking about some of the things that you're looking at for 2024, you mentioned AI. Is there any particular use case that you're excited about in, in your world that you might want to share with us or anything specific about these kind of innovations that are coming down the pipe that really get you charged up? I, I think, you know, we're, where we are in sort of our path to artificial intelligence, I would say we are really in, I mean, like a lot of organizations, we're in the early innings. But I think, you know, we are just probably stepping up to the plate using the baseball analogy. And I, I am, you know, really excited. You know, we've been out there and we've used the tools, you know, the Barge and the Chad GPTs and some of the other platforms. And I'm excited about this because simply like it, at its most basic level, when you interact with those tools and those kind of large language models that have been built is it is really amazing what they can do. And I am so excited about the fact that, you know, you can take those things in sort of their early state and they so show so much promise for us as an industry. That's exciting. I think one area, I th well, there's probably two areas here that when we think about where AI gets deployed, that I think are really great use cases for financial services. One is fraud management. And so, you know, fraud is a persistent problem and will continue to be a persistent problem in financial services. You know, for it has been certainly a big part of my career, will continue to be, you know, a part of anybody's career in the industry that we're in. It's hard, right? Tackling fraud is a really hard problem. And then everything that's moving through the banking system today whether it's, you know, payments or debit card transactions or all these things, they're all becoming faster and they're all, they're, there's more of them than ever, right? There's a new payment thing coming out every, you know, seems like every, you know, year and it's just becoming hard to manage it all. And so I think that AI is a real promising application for helping to manage fraud. I think the other area that I think AI is really interesting is really around advice. So giving advice in financial services is a hard thing to do. And oftentimes the best practitioners of it in the industry are, are just people simply from the years of experience it takes to understand somebody's situation and make recommendations. I think AI holds a tremendous amount of promise there to have really meaningful dialogue and make meaningful recommendations to people that are actionable and that can help. Yeah, 100%. Especially in that a lot of people out there are you know, to put it simply, financially illiterate, right, to a certain extent, or they're just, or they're at the beginning stages where the information that AI could access, right, to advise them, like you're saying, could just change the game. Like it could be such a, a big leap from where they, they might be in that moment. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Very cool. Jeff, a couple last questions I have for you here. And we've actually kind of started 
talking about it with your last comments, but where do you see the financial services and or credit union, you know, specialty within that industry going in the future and or what do you think will be some of the biggest changes as time passes? Well, good question. Yeah, I think a couple of the key themes for, you know, the foreseeable future as an industry for us, you know, you will see, we think further industry consolidation, you know, you've seen that for over the past 15 years, you know, banks and credit unions and the, the sheer numbers of them becoming, it's obviously much smaller today. I think that trend will continue depending on what the kind of, you know, the economy holds over the next 18 to 24 months that could accelerate for a little bit. So that means that, you know, organizations like us and those around us, it basically can change your priorities quickly. You know, those who might be looking for merger assisted growth, for example, that probably becomes a bigger priority for them over the next couple of years. So I think consolidation continue to remain a theme. I think a couple other thoughts on, you know, what the industry holds over the next couple of years. I would, this concept that I call service transformation, right? So it's how people do things in our industry, I think is, well, not only, not begin to change, but change at an accelerated pace. And I think as the technology continues to get better, that, you know, your ability as a member, customer of the credit union to do things, you know, on your mobile device, you know, think about how far we've come as an industry in the last 10 years. I think that continues to accelerate as more technologies like AI and things begin to really grab hold here over the next two to three years. And then I think the use of AI, I think becomes much more widespread in financial services for all kinds of things back office operations, middle office, member facing things that, you know, we can't even dream about today. And that's why it's, we as an industry, I think, tend to get too excited about things and think that, you know, something's going to happen. And it's oftentimes we predict it and it takes a little bit longer. I think AI may be the one area where it sort of proves itself in the reverse. It's like, it's probably going to come a little quicker than most of us think. And we just need to be ready for it. Yeah, no, hundred percent, especially with its ability to learn, you know, as it goes, right? Inherently. One thing that I was going to mention before, more of a commercial that I, you know, to anybody that's using any company that's using GPT-4 or any employees, not so much you or any CIOs, but their employees, keep in mind that if you're entering, you know, company data into GPT-4, it is now available to me as another user, right? So I could type in, you know, if somebody ran, you know, their business development strategy through GPT-4 to ask it for feedback or notes, I could go in and type, you know, try to get that business development strategy from GPT now. So we saw a company that was doing that and, and it's just, I don't think everybody knows that necessarily, especially non-IT and digital folks, like we might know that, but like, you know, it's something like we talk about security education, right? In awareness with our teams, depending on what our, our employees have access to now, it's just something that I need to be mindful of now. Absolutely. We used an example the other day in a meeting, just the point that you just raised. And I think the analogy we used for the audience that we were talking to was, you know, think of like, Chat GPT in the old days might be somebody walking across a, you know, their town 
with a file folder of confidential information in their hand. And all of a sudden, they half the contents of that folder spills out into the sidewalk and they lost those papers. Well, who knows who's going to pick that stuff up at that point? Chat GPT-4 is the same way. Once it's out there in the open internet, it's available to everybody and education is paramount. Yeah, I love that. So Jeff, this has been great. We, I mean, a lot of great stuff brought out. Really excited to share this with everyone. Last question I just like to ask all my guests is if you could go back five or 10 years in time, even longer, what advice would you give your younger self? I think there's two things. It's this saying I like to use with folks that work for me that while failure is inevitable at some point in your career, what you learn from that failure is optional. And so things are not going to go the way we want them to go sometimes. And that's just the way of the world, right? Nothing is perfect. But our opportunity is really what we step back and we take away and we learn from that to make ourselves better on the next iteration. So that's the first. I think the second is, and this came to me a little bit later in my career, but I think it's incredibly important is that to be our best self, whether it's at work or whether it's at home or, you know, with the people that we love is we really have, most folks don't prioritize their physical and mental well-being enough. And I think it's taking the time that you need to take for yourself to exercise or eat right or, you know, step away from work or take your time off or do the things that you need to do to make sure that, you know, the 40 plus hours that you're going to spend in the office is time well spent and it's productive and you can't really be the person that you want to be at work until you're sort of really right with yourself in those ways. So that, that'd be my advice to my younger self. Mm, yeah. I mean, that'd be the same advice I'd give to my younger self too. Great way to end the episode, Jeff. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciated having you on. Yeah. I appreciate it, David. Great to be here. Yeah, and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We will catch you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.